listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. It is good to be with you uh, this morning. Our, our text for today will be Romans chapter 5. If you want to go ahead and make your way over to, to that portion of the scriptures. Uh, and as we already kind of got primed for this morning with the, the Advent reading, uh, we will be discussing how Jesus is the Prince of Peace, which is a prophetic title as it was read from uh, the book of Isaiah chapter 9. As um, Isaiah is talking about the Messiah to come, there's all these wonderful descriptions of the role he is going to fulfill. And one of those aspects is the Prince of Peace, a fulfillment that we find in Jesus Christ. Uh, but it is worth discussing and thinking about this morning because as we look at the world around us, it might not feel like a Prince of Peace has arrived, which uh, can make it difficult sometimes uh, at, at Christmas when we are focusing so much uh, on the uh, arrival of Jesus, um, I, I find it just difficult to uh, kind of keep uh, our, our topics, keep our discussion, keep our thinking just at the nativity scene, because all of what we do here in this room and at this church is in light of the whole life of Jesus and what he accomplished, not only in his arrival, but also in his life and his death and his resurrection. Um, and so sometimes it's hard to just keep Christmas at the nativity, but it is significant to recognize Jesus. Uh, just the enormity of the fact that God did arrive in person here on this earth. That is worth celebrating. That is worth taking specific time to remember and to think about that uh, the God of the universe, um, uh, he condescended, he came down, he limited himself to the form of humanity, taking on that form as uh, Philippians chapter two talks about, he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped but he gave it up, that he emptied himself and came into our reality. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. We talk about the, the titles applied to Jesus of Emmanuel, God with us, that he literally was here, the king of the universe. That is significant. Um, but once again, it's hard to just leave it in that moment because uh, he did make an appearance. He came, he showed up, and that is more than we deserve. Like it would have been enough if that was all he did. If he just popped in for a moment and said hi to us all, but he did more than that. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again. It's kind of like how um, we, we have to recognize that there is uh, both aspects of God's grace and mercy upon our lives. And we oftentimes focus on the mercy aspect of we come to Jesus because our, our sins are forgiven. Um, but, you know, the reality of the gospel is that, like, God doesn't just get us back to zero. He doesn't just take care of the issue of our sin and leave us to figure the rest of it out. So he bestows mercy on us in that regard that he does forgive our sins. He wipes the slate clean. He took it upon himself. But then the grace of God is that, you know, it talks about in the Bible that he lavishes upon us his love. 
That it says he brings us into his family. He doesn't just forgive our sins and get us back to zero, but no, he, he makes us sons and daughters. It says that we are co-heirs with Christ. And so we recognize that aspect of the mercy of God, but also the grace of God, the um, not getting what we do deserve and receiving what we don't deserve. And in the same way, not only did God show up into our world, did he come down into our mess, but then he also lived the life that we couldn't live, that he took our sins on the cross and conquered sin and death and rose from the dead. And so um, what a significant thing to remember this Christmas is that he is our peace. He is the Prince of Peace. And the good news that we get to celebrate at Christmas is that the Prince of Peace is here. And so I think about all those different ways we remember the nativity story. And you think about the shepherds in the field and the angel shows up and uh, declares to them like, hey, this thing you've been waiting for, it's happened. And it says, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, go and declare it to everyone that there is peace on earth. But that does leave us with a struggle this morning because it's hard to look at the world and the reality we inhabit and think of a less peaceful place. And so I know that is something that weighs on my heart and mind as I go through this life and and think about uh, what the Bible says Jesus accomplished. And you think about those titles that are bestowed upon him being the Prince of Peace. And sometimes it feels like something is off within my own understanding or my own perception of what is going on. And it was making me think uh, this week on... In the story of John the Baptist, in, in, in Matthew chapter 11, it's near the end of John the Baptist's life. And so if you kind of remember, his role was the announcing of Jesus. So it's actually Jesus' cousin. And he became, before Jesus began his ministry, John the Baptist was tasked with preparing the way. So people would know like, hey, this thing's coming. This one who is greater than I is going to show up. And so once Jesus does begin his ministry and John baptizes him and the heavens open up and the spirit of God descends upon Jesus, declaring him, who he is, really you don't hear much about John. He kind of steps into the background, uh, which was his role and the role he accepted. He makes the famous statement, like he must increase and I must decrease. But we get this story near the end of John's life because he did continue his ministry, what God called him to do. And one of those aspects was that he preached against some of the sin and evilness of the time, specifically with those in power, which led to him being arrested uh, because it wasn't, um, you know, um, looked well upon that he was calling out the sinfulness of the leaders in their area. And so he was arrested and put in jail. And there's this moment that happens when John is in jail that where he's been living faithfully, doing what God called him to do, but he's looking at his circumstances and his reality and it feels like something has gone wrong because he knew the prophecies. He knew what was supposed to take place with the Messiah. He knew all those things, but he has this moment of doubt when he is imprisoned and he gets some of his friends and he tells them to go to Jesus And he says, go and ask Jesus, are you the one or should we wait for someone else? Because I think John probably felt in that moment, probably moments we're all going to hit along the course of our life that uh, what we believe to be true about Jesus, but how it feels in contrast to what we're currently experiencing. And that's why I felt a little bit this week as I thought about this idea that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And, you know, the declaration that was made to the people at the time is peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And I just wonder if sometimes our perception of what God is doing in the world can drift. And we need those reminders to pull us back to the reality of the scriptures and what 
what it actually means for Jesus to reign and rule as the Prince of Peace in our lives and in the world around us. As we kicked off this Advent season and uh, the first sermon Charlie preached, he made the statement that we all need to uh, probably remind ourselves of again and again and again when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the primary focus of it is not our situation, but our separation. That there is a spiritual reality to the world around us. And the most significant issue every single one of us will face is that we are a person condemned by sin that needs a rescue and a savior. And that is to be found in Jesus Christ. That our separation from God is the most significant obstacle we will ever have to overcome in this life. And thank goodness that Jesus has come and made a way for us. And so with that in mind, as we think about Jesus being our Prince of Peace, I invite you to look in Romans chapter 5 with me. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And so it is interesting as you uh, dig into the word uh, choices of the scriptures that this idea of peace is very prominent throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so uh, it's probably one of those biblical words you know because the Hebrew word for peace is the word shalom that is still used um, as a greeting and as a call among Jewish communities. And it would be good for us to recognize what it's actually talking about because it is this deep embedded idea throughout the scriptures and throughout our understanding of God is that shalom. This idea of peace doesn't necessarily mean the absence of conflict, but the presence of completeness or wholeness. And so we do, you know, use this term a lot when we talk about the reality of our sinful world. We talk about the aspect of brokenness, that we live in a world that has been fractured by sin in every way imaginable. The presence of disease and natural disaster, the the conflicts humans face. And because it is um, this reality that our humanness has been broken, and so we are uh, dramatically affected by sin. And so in the Old Testament, you get this word so often, this idea of shalom, this idea of completeness or of wholeness. And so it isn't necessarily just the absence of conflict, which is how I so often think about it. And so why I feel um, that disconnect between myself is when I look the world and think about the idea of Jesus being the Prince of Peace, like I see conflict everywhere. I see it in my interpersonal relationships. I see it within our country. I see it within our world. There is conflict constantly. So how can Jesus be reigning as a prince of peace when there is conflict? But I think there is a deeper reality to the peace that the scriptures are talking about. That if it is this idea of wholeness or completeness, and that is offered to us through Jesus Christ, and that's what Paul is saying right here. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith... We have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can have wholeness or completeness with God. Uh, Back several hundred years ago, a philosopher named Blaise Pascal made the statement that inside every single person is a God-shaped whole. And it's this reality that we're all pursuing things because we can feel that uh, something's just not quite right, that something is off in our lives. And so uh, we so often choose different things to pursue to kind of make it our ultimate game. Our ultimate um, uh, aim is to uh, figure life out or to fix ourselves. And so we try to fill that hole in different ways. But what we would know and hold to as followers of Jesus Christ is that the only way to feel complete or whole is to find ourselves in Jesus. And that would be the only way we can experience what the biblical authors talk about as peace. Through Jesus, he is the Prince of Peace. This title, this idea, this idea of shalom or of peace, it refers to our salvation. And that's how Paul is equating it right here. Since we have been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I love what he says about that because of this reality that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. God's glory is shown most evidently in sinners being reconciled to their creator through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He is our Prince of Peace. He is the principal example of wholeness that anybody has ever seen. Holy God, Holy man, the perfect humanity shown forth of God making a way for us to be restored, for the things that were broken to be fixed. And that's what we remember at Christmas. We remember the baby. We remember the God of the universe coming as a person to live perfectly, to restore what was broken between us and our creator, God. Uh, In the 1700s in England, uh, there were two brothers who've left a significant mark on the Christian church, uh, John and Charles Wesley. And so uh, I think John has a little bit more name recognition as John Wesley uh, was what kind of kicked off Methodism, what's led to the Methodist church all throughout the world. And so um, I know even at UTA, they have a Wesley Student Center. It's named after John Wesley and just the way he served the Lord and kind of took part in both uh, the church in England, but also came to the U.S. and did a significant amount of preaching. So uh, John kind of has the most notoriety of the two. Um, But between John and Charles, uh, another significant aspect of their ministry was the writing of hymns. And so John Wesley wrote a lot of hymns, but Charles wrote a a vast number of hymns. So over 6,000 hymns uh, were credited to Charles Wesley over the course of his life and ministry. And so for him, kind of one of the motivating goals behind that uh, was that his uh, brother John was a significant preacher and just proclaiming the word of God and teaching people what it meant to follow Jesus. But in the time they ministered, uh, education was not something that was just universally available to all people. And so there was a lot of people that, um, you know, uh, were illiterate, did not know how to read, couldn't study the scriptures for themselves. And so his motivation for crafting poems and songs and hymns was that people that were not educated or were illiterate could still learn deep theology. That was his goal. And and in fact, John said of Charles about his hymn book that he composed over the course of his life, he's like that there's no better theological book in existence uh, than the hymns of Charles Wesley, which is a pretty significant statement. 
And so in, in 1739, uh, Charles wrote the first edition of a song that we continue to sing every single year called Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And we've uh, sang it this Christmas. We're going to sing it again. And as I was um, thinking about what it meant for Jesus to be our Prince of Peace, uh, there was this line in that song that continued to stick out to me. And it kind of just had been rumbling around my head this entire time this week. And it was uh, the line where he says, born that man no more may die. And I was thinking about that because, um, once again, it feels like this disconnect because uh, I've had loved ones in my life that have passed away. Um, but I think about this biblical reality, and for me, it kind of goes back to the garden. And if you think about when sin entered into our world and fractured and broke everything, there is this statement right beforehand that God is talking to Adam and Eve. And he says, hey, um, every tree in the garden you can eat, but this one tree I've set apart and said, don't eat it. And he says, if you eat of that tree, surely you will die. And what do they do? They eat of that tree. And in that moment, they don't physically die. Now, sin enters into the world. Death enters into the world. Uh, but in that moment, what happens is that fracturing and separation of all things. And it's made sense to us when Jesus comes and preaches. And in John chapter 3, he has this conversation with a man named Nicodemus. And he talks about what it means to have eternal life. And he says, you have to have eternal life. And the only way to have that is by being born again. You have to be born of the spirit. And so what Jesus makes sense for us is that in that moment, there was a death that occurred. It was a spiritual death that fractured the relationship that the creation was supposed to have with the creator. That the biggest issue every single one of us is going to face is not the situations of life, but the separation from God. And so that line just kept resonating in my head that one of the reasons Jesus came, why we celebrate the nativity of God entering into our reality is that he was born, that man no more may die, that through him we would have eternal life, a life everlasting with him. And so it is the third stanza of that song. And he uh, begins that third stanza with that recognition of what Jesus has done. This is what it says. It says, hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. And so if you think about what the angels came and declared to the shepherds, what we remember every single year in December, this peace on earth, goodwill towards man. And if we put that up in contrast with the events of humanity, even over the course of Jesus's life, it might seem like they are in contradiction. But the reality is that the greatest peace we could ever know is not the situation or the circumstances of the world, but that every single one of us, though we are sinners, can have a whole and complete relationship with the God of the universe because of Jesus Christ. Because he was born that man no more may die. That although many of us will experience a physical death, our life, our eternal reality is life with Jesus Christ because he is currently reigning as the Prince of Peace over the universe. And so I love how Paul remembers in Ephesians chapter two, why Jesus came. Verse 17, he says, and he came and preached peace 
wholeness, completeness. He preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. And I thank God that Jesus came and preached peace to all of us, that we could have wholeness and completeness with God because of Jesus Christ. And when we do recognize when we internalize, when we grow into the spiritual reality that we can have a relationship with the God of the universe, it does uh, change what we fix our eyes on, that it does change uh, our, our perception of our current situation to an eternal perspective. But one of the amazing things that happens in a relationship with Jesus is that when we begin to view our lives in terms of eternity, it does have an impact on the here and the now. And so I love that Paul recognizes that because he, he states um, pretty clearly uh, what transpires in our life when we recognize that we have peace with God, that we've been justified with God, it changes everything about how we actually walk in this current reality. It says we rejoice in our sufferings. And when we do that, God does this work in our life and the ultimate uh, goal, not the, um, the ultimate um, aspect of what transpires in us is that we have hope, which is a pretty incredible thing. You know, and we do recognize that so often at Christmas when we kind of go through the, uh, the more traditional way we observe Advent. Usually that first week of Advent, we light the candle of hope. And I do think it is a, a recognition that that is something we still desperately need because uh, when we do recognize that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, that he has restored that wholeness and completeness that we can have a relationship with God, we do currently still live in this broken world. And so we are uh, looking ahead to a promise which will be completely fulfilled when Jesus returns for us, but we do get to experience it in the here and the now and we experience it through hope that when we recognize that our peace, our wholeness and completeness has, uh, has an eternal implication, the result here is for us to be a people of hope. And that's what he says. He says this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And then I love how Paul phrases this, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We should be a people of hope. If we recognize Jesus as Lord and claim him as our Prince of Peace, regardless of the circumstances around us, what should be coming out of my life is a position and posture of hope. And I think that is a good reminder for us. I think we do lose sight of that. We see the conflict around us. We feel just the consternation of our times and we forget that we are a people of hope, that we are looking ahead to something greater that is going to uh, transpire in our world and in our reality because we know that the Prince of Peace has come, that wholeness and completeness can be found again in Jesus Christ to restore the things that were broken, namely our relationship with the Father. And so I know for myself, when I think about that idea and I think about what it means to follow Jesus, to place your faith in him, to live the Christian life, to have a walk that reflects a deep set hope in him. For me, it just kind of conjures um, stories 
stories of, of people I've known or people I've read about who you can just tell followed Jesus well. And so I know for my life, every single one of us are gonna go through different elements of suffering, but there's some people who've like suffered, suffered. And you know, I always just like reflect on those stories. Like if I compare it to my life, my life's been pretty easy. And so in some ways, some of my faith is theoretical until I go through that trial that's going to reveal what God has actually placed in my heart in my life. And so I do just kind of reflect on those stories, even biblical stories. I do think about Paul in the life that he lived and being able to make the statement like to live as Christ, to die as gain. And that's backed up by the fact that he almost was killed dozens and dozens of times for preaching the gospel. Like you think about that, that's like a powerful level of hope. Like that is a true sense of peace reigning in his life if he can be beaten almost to death and still say like, God is still good. Like that's what it means to um, acknowledge Jesus as the Prince of Peace. So whatever happens in your situation, you're saying, you know, it's okay because my hope is in something else. I think about the story of Johnny Erickson Tata, which a lot of you know that, you know, she was in a horrific accident and paralyzed. And so her whole life got shifted and she would look back on that moment and say it was for the best because it has taught her this peace in God. Uh, there's a story of a missionary in the 1800s named John Patton, who was um, on an island in the South Pacific by himself for three years trying to minister to cannibals who over those three years were constantly trying to kill him. And he would write about that time that he had never felt closer to God, that he would ne had never experienced more joy than when he was hiding in a tree as people were trying to kill him. Now that's peace. You know, I think about people in my circle and in my sphere who've lost loved ones and it just didn't phase them. You know, we hurt, we grieve, but we don't grieve as people without hope because the Prince of Peace is reigning and ruling in our lives. You know, as Paul said that we are uh, pressed but not crushed, you know, and that is the Christian life. And that is what we remember at Christmas that's why we remember that the God of the universe put himself in the most vulnerable position possible as a human baby in an adverse circumstance and in an adverse time so that we might have life. And so, brothers and sisters, let's remember that because of his life and the shedding of his blood and his resurrection, that Jesus is our Prince of Peace. Would you pray with me?